Welcome. Oh, welcome. There we go. I have a mic this morning. Uh, it's good to be with you. Today we are nearing, sadly, the end of our series called Redefined, where we have been looking at really an in-depth look at the Sermon on the Mount. And I don't know about you, but I have so enjoyed this series. And uh, today, like I said, we're nearing the end of that series. And really what, what we're looking at today is the beginning of the conclusion on the, for the Sermon on the Mount. And this is going to be the last section. And this is where Jesus starts to really drive home his main points. He begins to summarize uh, what he's been saying all throughout the sermon and, and really bring his message home. Jesus knew, as we've said almost every week, he knew his audience well, right, on that mountainside that day. And he knows that these people are bent toward more the religious. They're, they're, they have that religious bent. Of course, they're his followers, and that's who he's speaking to is, is his followers. But they're also Jewish, and in that culture, they were soaked in, those, in that culture of rules and of rites and of religious ceremonies. That was, that was their culture that they, that they lived in. And, and he knew for them, just as much for them as for us today, that there is a danger in redefining the rules, isn't there? There's, there's a danger in turning the standard on its head, is that we'll just go right on out these doors and we'll just try to do it all on our own. That, that's the danger for all of us, really. We think, well, well Jesus, you, you, we're just trying to do the things that you taught us in the Sermon on the Mount, right? We're trying to love our enemies, or we're trying to give to the poor. We're trying to be salt and light in the world. But what we know is that we can just as easily try to do what he taught us to do, and what we've learned while we've been in this series do all that without him, without him. And I don't know about you, but I, I struggle with this a lot. I seem to fall back into the same habit of pulling the reins back from God and trying to do things on my own. I, I kind of like to have control. <laughs> I don't know about you. And, and I remember years ago, and I've shared this story before, but God really kind of honed my vision in on how much of a struggle this is for me. And I was in Ash Wednesday service, and I decided to go, but I was particularly kind of introverted. I'll just be, give that excuse. I didn't want to be around people, so I just wanted to sit in the back by myself with my journal. And funny enough, at the very like, beginning of the service, right before it started, there was a woman that came in, and, and it took her a while to get from just the door to the very back row where I was sitting. And she was on crutches, and it took her, like, it was, like, painful to watch her come. And, of course, where did she sit? She sat, like, right in front of me. <laughs> and I'm thinking, yeah, okay, didn't you know that I was here to just spend time with the Lord? No. Uh, so she sat there throughout the whole service. The Lord is just kind of talking to me. And, and at the very end, when we go forward to actually receive the ashes, the Lord just starts to give me compassion for this woman. And, and really, I mean my stomach starts to kind of go in my throat, and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, you're going to make me talk to her, aren't you? And, and you, you just have this debate going on with the Lord, and he's like, yeah, just ask her if she needs help to go forward. And, and I thought, oh, I don't know her. This is awkward. And, but, I, I, but I did it. I, I, I crouched down next to her, and I said, hi, I'm Heather, and, and I saw you had crutches. I, I didn't know if you needed any help you know, going forward and receiving the ashes. And, 
And surprisingly, her reaction was not what I expected. She uh, turned and looked at me with a look of utter disgust and said pretty much, I don't need your help, I'm fine, thank you. And turned back to what she was doing and I was a little bit more than stunned. I thought, well God, if you had asked me to do that, wouldn't you think it would work out? <laughs> totally didn't. And I stood up stunned and turned around and was walking back to my seat when the Lord put this intersecting thought in my head. And he said, Heather, I didn't do that so that you could actually help her forward. I did that so that you could see a picture of yourself. And I thought, whoa. <laughs> and this picture came in my mind of me on crutches. And I mean, it, I am struggling along. I am like, oh, it's painful to watch me just like hobble along on these crutches. And I'm going, I got this, God. I've got this. I don't need your help. I don't need your help. You know, <laughs> like with attitude. Like, I don't need your help. I've got this. And it convicted me so deeply. I actually just went straight to the bathroom and just bawled the rest of the service. I think the Lord really, really knew that I needed to hear that in that time in my life. And and I don't know about you, but that is something I struggle with, is relinquishing control, remembering that I need God, that I can't just do this on my own. And, and we know that Jesus never intended us to live this life, to walk out this life alone. And he's after not just transforming what our lives look like on the outside, he is after our hearts and I don't know about you, but as I've walked this life with Christ for a number of years, I've realized I can't change my own heart. I can't, as much as I've tried. That is a work that only he can do. That is a work that only he can do. He doesn't want us to walk away from this incredible series, from really just this incredible passage in scripture. No, never mind the series as much as this, just the scripture. It's just powerful. Jesus' words here are powerful in the Sermon on the Mount, but he, he doesn't want us to walk away with, with a wrong motive or the wrong impression on how we are to implement this wonderful teaching in our lives. He didn't want that for those that were sitting on the mountainside that day, and he definitely doesn't want that for us. He wants us to be crystal clear about the choice in front of us today. Will you choose to walk this life with Jesus? Or will you just go right out these doors and just try harder on your own effort? Let's go ahead and pray. God, we invite your presence here with us. I know you're here, but we ask for more. We always just ask for more because we know, God, we need you. And I know I need you this morning. So God, would you fill me with your presence right now in the name of Jesus? And Lord Jesus, would you meet every single individual here in this room? Because I know you can, and I know you long to. So any distractions or just any burdens from today, any, any arguments on the way to church, Lord, would you just wipe that slate clean? Would you just take away the distractions right now in the name of Jesus? Would you enable us to hear what you have to say to us through your word today? Holy Spirit, we pray you, Jesus, are magnified and glorified. In your name we pray, amen. Well, let's just begin by diving into our short passage today. Like I said, this is the beginning of the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount, and it begins like this in Matthew 7, 13 through 14. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow is the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. 
Right away, Jesus is giving us this beautiful metaphor of just two roads to reveal where we are and where we're headed. He wants it to be a mirror, and he wants us to reflect on how we're operating in this life. Are we with him, or are we just surrounding ourselves with lots of busy Christian activity? Are we really on a road that leads to the life that he intends and and wants for us? And that's, if we're honest, not a really easy question to answer. So today what I want to do is just unpack what these two roads look like by comparing and contrasting what Jesus describes in these two short verses. So first we're going to look at the two roads, then we're going to look at the two destinations, and then we're going to look at the two kinds of people on these roads. So the first one, let's just look at these two roads, and what we see right away is that they start with what? They start with a a gate, a gate, one narrow, one wide. We don't have a lot of gates anymore, do we? We, There's some gated communities, and and there's some gardens with gates, Uh, but the the analogy that came to mind right away was was a gate like a security gate. Anyone been through TSA recently? (laughs) Trying to get on a plane, yeah, okay, so... What's interesting, and I'll I'll go into this analogy a little bit more here, but what's interesting is that Jesus is saying right away that we're supposed to enter through this narrow gate. He says this narrow gate. And he said this before, actually, in John 10, 9, he says, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. Jesus is first saying, enter through me. Enter through me. It's this command right in the beginning of the conclusion, this command, enter through me. And it indicates really that there's, there are, each of these roads start with a choice. The narrow way is open, honestly, for everyone. It's open to everyone. The gate is actually not closed. It's open, but it doesn't take a special key or it doesn't take being a special kind of perfect person but it does take a choice. Life with God begins with a decision, a decision to choose Jesus, to choose his way, not ours. And really, anyone can do that, though it's easier said than done, right? A better translation of, of what this gate looks like is in uh, the King James Version, and I'll just read what it says. I got some yees in here, so I gotta practice this. Enter ye in at the straight gate, For wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Now here's a word that we don't use a lot in our modern language today. The only place that I've really seen this word straight, and I'm not talking about a straight road, that's actually not what it's saying in this passage. It's saying a straight, S-T-R-A-I-T gate, a straight gate. And the only really way that we use that is when we say, you know, I was in dire straits, right? Sometimes people will say that, or my, my favorite is a straight jacket, now that's confining, isn't it? That's, that's scary to think of. I start breathing a little bit heavier when I think of a straight jacket, right? And, and so when we go back to that analogy of the security gate at the airport, I don't know about you, if you've realized how much the security at an airport has just been beefed up lately, right? And it seems to be getting more and more so. The only way to actually get into the terminal 
or to get to your plane is to go through this very narrow gate. And sometimes you have to put your arms up and get like waved with a wand. I mean, it's, it's very like in your, in your personal space, right? It's very personal. And they will not let you take anything with you. I mean, it's amazing nowadays. It's like, seriously, you want me to take everything off? I have to take my belt off. I have to take my keys out. I have to, can I, do I have to take my braces off? Will that go, you know? <laughs> I mean, you have to take your shoes off, unless you have one of those special TSA pre-checks. My husband has one of those. I'm kind of jealous, uh, but he travels a lot. So, uh, but you have to take it all and put it on that conveyor belt. You cannot take it with you. And, and if you notice, you always have to go through that gate one at a time. Even my daughter, when she was really young, had to go through by herself, one at a time. You can't, you can't go with anyone else. And what's interesting is the same with Jesus' gate, with a gate, that small, straight gate. Jesus says there's only room to go through one at a time. And you, you can't go with your family. You can't go in a crowd, and you can't take anything with you especially anything that's, that's not you know, of the Lord that he doesn't have for you. And what's interesting here, too, is that you've got to deal with Jesus personally. It's a one-on-one thing. We can start to see why few find this very small, straight gate. Sure, it's open to all, but at first glance, it is not at all appealing. It makes you start to breathe a little heavier, Right? Choosing that small, narrow, confining gate means I have to leave my will behind. I have to leave my will behind. I have to surrender and choose Jesus to enter into that gate. Think of it this way. The beginning of that road starts with a gate, a narrow gate that says, thy will be done. And then there's the wide gate, really wide gate. And and above it says, my will be done. My will be done. And that wide gate is open for everybody, too. Actually, you can take anything with you, anything with you. And you can take, you know, anything, anyone with you. You can take a crowd with you if you want, because it's all about what you want. It's all about what you prefer. If you want to go by yourself, go by yourself. If you want to take a crowd, take a crowd. You pretty much, it's my will be done. But both gates have very different roads behind them. And both gates have a a road and then a destination that is also very, very different. So Jesus then starts to describe what those two roads beyond the gates look like. And he says again in these two verses, broad is the road and then narrow is the road. So broad is the road that leads to destruction and narrow is the road that leads to life. And what Jesus is saying here is is a really remarkable statement. He's actually saying there are just two roads and only two roads in spiritual matters. And he's saying everybody is on one road or another, and they're headed for a different spiritual destination. That means that every minute you're moving on one way or the other. You're not standing still. You're not at a crossroads. You're either walking in one direction or the other. This teaching of Jesus, if you start to really look at it, it it kind of puts him on collision course with virtually every modern thinker in the last 150 years. (laughs) Sure, it's acceptable nowadays to say that I'm, I'm spiritually searching. I'm spiritually searching. And I think that's actually a beautiful thing, to be spiritually searching. I think God can use that. 
But it is actually not acceptable in our culture today to say that I've found the way, that I've actually found the way. It is okay to say that you're searching for God, but it's not okay to say that you've found God. Why not? Because it's really narrow, right? It's really narrow. Our culture today doesn't see life as just two roads. They see it as lots of roads, lots of roads, going up this same mountain toward the same destination. Now that could look like lots of different religions, like I'm a Buddhist, or I'm a Hindu, or I'm Muslim, or, or maybe you know I'm an atheist. Maybe it's a philosophy. It might not just be a religion. Maybe it's just a worldview. There are many, many philosophies and many, many worldviews and many, many religions that lead to the same destination, which is either God or the truth or as relative as it is, the truth um, at the top. It's all the same. You know, as long as we're being sincere in our, in our direction to try to find what that truth or that God is. But Jesus' message is very, very different, isn't it? He says there are two roads only going in two directions. And he says it multiple times throughout the New Testament especially. His words, his own words. In John 14, 6, he says, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Or Acts 4.12, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Now to the world, let's be honest, that sounds like what? Sounds pretty intolerant, doesn't it? It sounds really bigoted, and it actually sounds a little prejudiced. And I'm pretty sure that we've heard those words said about Christians <laughs> in the, the last couple years, especially. Listen to, to these two young New Yorkers and what they say in response to this. How could there be just one true faith? It's arrogant to say that your religion is superior and try to convert everyone else to it. Surely all the religions are equally good and valid for meeting the needs of their particular followers. Or this one. Religious exclusivity is not just narrow, it's dangerous. Religion has led to untold strife, division, and conflict. It may be the greatest enemy of peace in the world. If Christians continue to insist that they have the truth, and if other religions do this as well, the world will never know peace. Have you heard this? I sure have. <laughs> Maybe not these succinct words, but boy, we've heard this, haven't we? And it's really hard to know how to respond to such critical statements about our faith when it's so clear in Scripture what Jesus is saying. But what is also clear in Scripture is that we know that Christ actually does not teach intolerance. He teaches actual respect for people who are different from us. That's what we know. When we look at Scripture, we see that everything is pointing in Jesus' teachings toward becoming respectful and kind and civil and loving towards those that are different from us. He even says, love your enemies. That's what Jesus is pointing us to, loving even our enemies. So what we're talking about when we look at, we look at how Jesus has been teaching us how to love one another, he's talk, talking about having a, a bit of social tolerance and, and having relational tolerance and having even legal tolerance. We want people to be able to be free to practice their religions, but we should be extending respect and care for those 
who don't look like us, right? That should be us. That, we sh- that should be characteristic of Christians. And yet what Jesus is saying here is that it's our theological tolerance, our theological tolerance of all faiths lead to God that's absolutely impossible. What, when it comes to what we believe about God, we see the truth as narrow and absolute. There are two roads. And that definitely can feel very narrow, but it doesn't give us the right or the permission to treat people as though we are superior or as though, like, with any contempt at all. Now, I know that people might say, well, then you shouldn't then try to convert us to your religion as if your religion is somehow superior. But what they're really saying is, I don't, I want you to abandon your inferior view, Heather, (laughs) and adopt my superior view, that all religions lead to God. What they're doing is the very thing that they're saying I shouldn't do, which is contradictory, isn't it? All religions being relative is actually a religion. Let's just say it like that. It's actually a religion. Yet there must be some way in which Jesus here is saying that we've got to be narrow or he wouldn't have chosen that word. He says, if you want to follow me, you must take the narrow way. But I think this is more of what he means by this. Not narrow in the sense of how we treat other people. It's narrow as how, how we deal with our own, our own spiritual lives. Let's say you want to be a really good doctor one day. Guess what your life is going to look like for the next 10 years? <laughs> you are going to be studying and studying. Your life is going to be dedicated to that library at school or your residency at that hospital. Your life is going to look absolutely narrow for a very long time. And maybe that's not really what you want always. In those library moments where you're thinking, I have to cram for this next exam, you're thinking, I would rather be out you know, having a party with my friends. But what you're choosing in that moment is something hard, is something narrow, because you have something long-term in mind. You have a purpose in mind, right? I'm going to be the best doctor, and so I'm going to study, and I'm going to work hard now, because I know that in the end, it's actually going to bring freedom. In the end, it's actually going to bring possibility and a future and a purpose. Or let's say you want to be a world-class musician. You are going to have to probably practice eight to 10 hours a day. That's what I hear it takes. Can you imagine? I mean, that's your full-time job is just practicing your instrument. After a while, you would think you would just like hate your instrument and be like, oh, I'm so sick of this. But, but you know, you know that even though, oh boy, I wish I could just be you know, hanging out with my friends right now or watching Netflix right now. (laughs) You know that, honestly, this is what's going to take to get me to that orchestra. That's what's going to take to get me that first chair position. There's a long-term goal in mind. And even though it feels really narrow and confining right now, you have this end point in mind. It takes intentionality. You know, we don't just magically arrive on the narrow way, we actually, (laughs) we have to choose to surrender, to walk that hard path of following God with trust and faith of knowing where it leads, knowing where it leads. So where do these two paths lead? Where do these two paths lead? Let's look at the two different destinations. What does it say? Destruction or life. 
See, the Broadway here starts as a really broad path with a really wide gate. It starts by looking really inviting, right? It looks great. But what it eventually leads to is, it's, it leads to a prison, really. It leads to a prison of unfulfilled longings, of love and acceptance, a prison of, of uncontrolled habits, a prison of unresolved fears. Destruction in the Greek here actually means a perishing, a ruin, a loss, a waste. Well, I don't know about you, but I, I don't want my life to be a waste. Eventually, it's the broad road that leads to a small, narrow place. And eventually after that, leads to the grave. But the narrow road leads to what? It leads to life. And the Greek word here actually means an absolute fullness of life. I love that. An absolute fullness of life. And not just one day in heaven, amen? Because the kingdom is here and now. We get, as Danny says, handfuls of heaven now. So this isn't just a promise for one day when I die. This is a promise for now. I can still be experiencing the fullness of life here and now where true contentment and abiding peace is something that I'm, I'm searching for, something that I start to, to see more and more of in my life, where our lives are less and less swayed by the idols that once ruled our lives. You know, some of you right now, when you look at your life and, and you're a Christian and, and you're on that narrow road, you're thinking, you know, honestly, I dream about just giving up sometimes because this is a hard road. This is a hard road. This narrow road with Jesus, is, it can be really hard. And he never, never tries to deceive us in that. He does. He says, guys, it, it will be hard at times. It will feel really narrow and confining at times. But I want you to remember today, remember where you're headed. Remember where you're headed, what God's purpose is for you. And some of us need that reminder today. We need to be reminded of the purpose and the call that is on our life that is absolutely unique to us. God did not put you on this earth without putting a purpose on your life, and he's heading you in a direction. So stay on the narrow way. <laughs> don't, don't give up. Keep going. It's the only road that leads to the abundant life that Christ has for us. That road that looks superficially on the outside, very narrow and confining, is actually the thing that leads to vastness and breadth and freedom, true freedom. And the road that looks superficially very spacious actually leads to suffocating deadly narrowness. So why would anyone ever knowingly go down a path that leads to that kind of destruction? Let's, lastly, I just want to look at the two kinds of people walking on these roads. And again, in our passage today, we hear it say, many enter it, and then only a few find it. In Matthew 7, 13 through 14. Many enter through it, and only a few find it. It would be easy to think right away when we read this, you know, in our mind's eye, you go, okay, well, I get it. I get the picture of this, these two roads, you know, and, and I have a picture of who's on each road. We, we, you know, we do that. We, we think we know. And the narrow way is the people that, you know, they take the hard and disciplined approach. 
they're the ones of self-denial and they're really good people, right? That's who we think are on the, the narrow way. Uh, the people who care for the poor and the people who obey the Ten Commandments and the people who pray all the time. And they're just always praying. Or they are always at church. Uh, they're the people who follow the golden rule. But the broad way, well, those people. You know, we don't want to talk about those people. Those people are the ones, you know, well, they want the easy life. You know, they just want the easy life. And they're just going to do whatever they want, right? And they're the ones that never go to church. And they never pray. And they don't give to the poor. They don't give to the poor. But what we have to understand here is that we have to look at the context. We're only looking at two little verses in a very long sermon on the mount, right? And when we look back and, and look at the whole, and not just these two little verses, but the whole, we look at the whole thing in the context, it is so clear that it is not about, the Sermon on the Mount is not about bad people versus good people. It's not. If you go through the Sermon on the Mount, you see right at the beginning, at the beginning of chapter five, it says, Jesus says, I wanna show you a different kind of righteousness, uh, not that of the, the scribes or the Pharisees or the teachers of the law, and then he goes on to say, you know, I know you've heard it said don't murder, but I say don't even have hatred in your heart. Don't even have hatred in your heart. So all the way through he's saying, I want to show you two kinds of ways. All the way through he's been saying this, two kinds of ways. And he gets to chapter six and he says, some, keep, some people care for the poor and they pray all the time, but they do it so that people will honor them. And they do it so that they'll be heard for their many words. They're doing it to get leverage over people and over God, really, so that he owes them. In other words, there are two ways. In one way, you're using God to get things. Really, you're using, God to try to, you're using the things of God to try to save yourself. That's, that's, that's the one way. The broad way people are the ones that always think that their sins aren't as bad as the person next to them, right? They feel superior to those who especially oppose them. That's why, for example, there are liberals and conservatives on the broad road, I'm just letting you know, because the liberals always think the real problem is the conservatives, and the conservatives always think the real problem is the liberals. But you know what the person on the narrow way says? The narrow way says, you know what the problem is? The problem's me. The problem's me, and I'm the sinner. I'm the sinner. So when a Christian is willing to be narrow enough to say that I am saved by grace alone, I am saved by grace alone, somebody else had to win my entrance into that gate, and it was Jesus. It was Jesus. Elizabeth Elliot, which... If you've ever never read her story, definitely grab her book, The Gates of Splendor, Through the Gates of Splendor. Just a wonderful book about her husband as a missionary and then her as a missionary to the Alka people. She came up with this fictional story. So if you look in the Bible, you will not find this. Um, but it is, it is a really interesting perspective, and I want to share it. She tells a story. She says, Jesus Christ comes along and says to his disciples carry a stone for me. And so Peter, of course it's about Peter, <laughs> Peter looks around and he takes, of course, the smallest stone he can find. And he, they walk along for a long time and, and then it's lunchtime and 
And Jesus says, okay, now give me your stones. And Jesus takes them in his hands and, and he turns them all into bread. And he gives them back to the disciples and there's Peter going, this is all I get for lunch? Are you kidding me? <laughs> and he's thinking, oh, great. You know, and he's still hungry after lunch, of course. And, and right after lunch, Jesus says again, okay, now, now go ahead and, and find a stone and carry a stone for me. And Peter says, well, I've got this figured out now. I'm totally going to. He finds the biggest stone, of course, right? And he gets his boulder, and he carries his boulder on his shoulders all the way till supper. And then right before supper, Jesus says, okay, now take your stones, and I want you to throw them in this lake. So all the disciples are like, okay, you know, and drop them in the lake. And then Jesus turns to the disciples, and he says, now follow me. And they all look at him, and Jesus says, who were you carrying those stones for? Who were you carrying those stones for? In a sense, were you carrying them for yourself and your own stomach, or were you carrying them out of obedience to me? Who are, who are you living for? Who are you living for? You know, the wide road people say, Ah, of course, I want the power and I want the love and I want the compassion and I want the meaning that comes with religion, but I want to be in a position where I can decide for myself whether I have to tell the truth or not in a situation. And I want to decide for myself whether I actually have to forgive somebody or not. And it depends on the degree in which they hurt me, right? <laughs> or, or maybe, you know, I want to be the one that decides who I get to sleep with. I don't want to follow some bunch of rules in the Bible. Like, I'm going, to, I'm going to do what I want. I want to do what I want. And they haven't, in essence, surrendered, well, in true essence, they haven't surrendered their will. Their will. What they're really saying is, I want to be happy. I want to be truly happy and still be in control of my life. And guess what? That is absolutely impossible. Sorry to break it to you, but it's absolutely impossible to have true happiness, contentment, and fulfillment, that life abundant that we all long for without first surrendering our will to Christ. In 1 Samuel 15, we have a, a really interesting example of this, and I feel like it's worth highlighting. God actually tells King Saul at the time that after this battle that they go through with the Amalekites, he says, I actually want you to kill all of their livestock after the battle. Well, you know, that's kind of weird to Saul. It didn't make a lot of sense to Saul. <laughs> Why would you kill all that wonderful livestock? So he kept it. And, he, and the prophet Samuel came and he said, Saul, the Lord told you to destroy the livestock of the, Ma the Malachites. Why didn't you do it? And Saul looks at Samuel and he says, well, I thought we could offer it as a sacrifice, you know, to God. And, and he, you know, makes it sound really cool, like, you know, I had a better idea. And Samuel looks at Saul and says these famous words, to obey is better than sacrifice. To obey is better than sacrifice. And what he really meant there is Saul, God didn't want the livestock. He wanted you. He wanted you. And by keeping it, by doing it your way, not God's way, but your way, you kept control. You kept control. Elizabeth Elliot, who again I, I quoted earlier, she said, she says this, I realized that the deepest spiritual lessons are not learned by letting, his, letting us 
letting him, letting us have our way in the end. But by making us wait, bearing with us in love and patience until we are able to honestly to pray what he taught his disciples to pray, thy will be done. Hmm. You know, this is something that's going to probably take me a lifetime to learn. Thank God that salvation is, is not just a one and done, it's an, it's an everyday thing. It's a choice that we have to make, even though my salvation is secure and I don't doubt it every day. It is something I still have to choose the Lordship of Christ over my life every day. And, and that, that crutches story I told earlier, you know, that was years ago. But recently, actually about eight months ago, uh, the Lord started to just grow in me this very strange sense in my gut. I had this sense of like grief and loss. And I'm thinking to myself, I have nothing that I've lost lately. There's nothing that I'm grieving. And as, and as the low the Lord was kind of showing me, he's like, I'm preparing you for the loss of something. And I was like, wow, that's a comforting thought. Thank you, Lord. What am I going to lose? And as I prayed more about it and prayed into it more, I felt like he was, it was going to be a choice of something I was going to have to willingly relinquish. And that's even harder, right? To willing, I'm like, oh, please don't let it be chocolate, right? <laughs> I, but I knew it was going to be something that was going to be hard. I felt like he was preparing me to give up something that I maybe had a real tight grip on and I didn't want to necessarily give up. And yet, for about two months, he didn't tell me what it was. So I've ha- I have this deep sense of like, oh, I'm going to like, have to give something up. This is going to be really, but I didn't know what it was. And I would try things on for size. You know, I'd be like, well, is it this? Is it chocolate? Is it, <laughs> is it coffee? Is it, you know, my, you know, love for, you know, shows on Netflix? Is it, you know, I don't know. I'm trying to fill in the blank and nothing seemed to fit. Until one day I was driving along. So usually when I'm driving along somewhere and my mind's wandering and the Lord just put this intersecting thought in my mind. And he said, Heather, I'm asking you to give up your independence. And boy, I thought chocolate would have been better, God. <laughs> chocolate would have been a lot better. That's, that's a hard one for me. <laughs> and uh, I know that, you know, in that moment, I, I remember thinking, oh, this is going to take me, this is going to be a real interesting ride then, Lord. And, and it was as though I already knew I was going to have to give it up, but I didn't know what that really meant. And so about a month later, I found out I was pregnant which is a wonderful, wonderful thing. And about two weeks after that, I started getting really, really sick again. And that happened with my first, so it wasn't surprising, but this time it took me out in a way that, ah, it didn't take me out the first time around. I blame it on my age, but (laughs) but it's just the hormones. And I know I'm one of those few people uh, there's a lot of women here that have, you know, had just smooth pregnancy journeys. That's just not my story. And I mean, actually, still today, I'm on medication to keep food and water down, and I'm already in my sixth month. So that's just that's just how it's been. And and especially those first couple months um, out of the gate, being pregnant, I was almost I was bedridden for the first couple weeks, and I realized, boy. <laughs> I haven't needed God and I haven't needed people more than I have than right now. And talk about letting go of your independence and control. <laughs> I was in desperate need and I needed God in such a way that I haven't in a long time. And there's something about physical suffering that causes you to just get on your knees in desperation and go, God, I need you. I cannot get through this day. 
I still have a, a, you know, a six-year-old at home. I still have a job I'm supposed to be at. <laughs> and, and there was just so much grace that he wrapped around me in that season. And like I said, he had been preparing me strangely for that, you know, just relinquishing of my independence. But it was hard for my pride to actually ask for help. It was hard to be like, I can't do this. Can you do this for me? And that, this hard. I realized that it's not just independence that I'm addicted to, <laughs> my independence, it's control. I like being in control. I like knowing that my body will do what I want it to do when I want it to do it. I don't like not knowing whether my day is gonna be over a toilet or it's gonna be at work. <laughs> I really like knowing that I can get my list of things done and not be suffering all day long. And yet what I've watched God do is, boy, has he provided. And, and this, is, this is a comfort for those of you that are walking on that narrow road right now, and it's just hard. It's just hard. Because God has been so incredibly close in this season. I told my small group recently, I said, guys, you don't know how hard it was for me that first night coming back and teaching small group. It had been a couple weeks, and, and I wasn't sure if I was going to make it through. And they were kind of shocked, like, really? And and I, and I said, but the moment I walked in those doors and, and we started having small group, it was like for two hours, God just lifted that, that sensation of <laughs> just sickness. And, and he allowed me to like not focus on myself for two hours and get my focus on him and other people. And boy, was that good for my soul. I didn't realize how much I needed it. And then even now, like for, for those of you that see me up here that are like, oh, she's, you know, she's doing great. Look how cute her little bump is. And you know, I, it's, it's easy to go, well, she's doing fine. And, and it's the grace of God that's holding me up right now. <laughs> you have no idea what the last couple of days has looked like. And yet God has been holding me up and giving me what I need to do what it is that he's called me to do, even amidst the suffering and, and the hard. And, and, and so as I've just continued to relinquish my independence. I've, I've watched the Lord provide. I've, I've watched him come close in ways that I can, I can honestly say about eight months later, I wouldn't give up the journey I've been on. As hard as it's been <laughs> and as many hours as I feel I've lost, it's like, Lord, you have been so close. Every time I start to worship, you're just, whoo, you're right there. You are so close to those that are, that are having a hard time, that are suffering. You know, our choice really is you can choose to believe that you are utterly competent and you are wise enough to run your own life, which I, I believe sometimes and I go off on my own, to, to make my own life decisions. Or you can believe that only God is competent to run your life and make your decisions. Those are the two roads that you can walk on. And it's a choice for many of us every day. It's like God... Help me to choose thy will be done and not my will be done today. And if walking on the narrow way is a matter of, it's really a matter of relationship, entering that gate is really about who you're living for, then it's because you're doing this because you love Jesus. You love him and you know what he saved you from. And, and it's because you know that you're saved by grace you believe that somebody else fought and won your entrance to that gate. There's actually one who, he's the same one that, that died outside of the gate for you so that you could come in. Now, Toby Mack is a, a really well-known recording artist, musician. 
And I don't know if you heard this, but just this last week, he tragically lost his eldest son. And the, you know, we don't know why or the, the circumstances around it yet, but in a statement on Instagram, he ended with this. He said, my wife and I would want the world to know this, that we don't follow God because he has some sort of un- we have some sort of under-the-table deal with him. Like, we'll follow you if you bless us. We follow God simply because we love him. Wow. Out of a deep place of grief, we follow God simply because we love him. Wow. When closing, I wanna, I wanna look at just one example, and it's Jesus' example. And I think it's a great just note to end on. Look at what Jesus did. Think of him sitting in heaven before he ever came to earth. Think of him sitting in heaven, looking down and seeing that, okay, if I come to earth, I'm going to have to give up all this. I'm going to have to give up all this glory, all this freedom, all this spaciousness, all this wondrous perfection <laughs> to come down and be born into poverty, to be born in a, in a manger, a dirty manger, to become a baby And he knows that one day he's going to be in the garden, and the soldiers would be on their way. They would be taking him to be tortured and to be putting nails in his hands and feet. He knew that they'd be putting a thorn, a crown of thorns on his scalp, and they'd be putting a spear in his side. And it was going to be a slow death of suffocation for him. And he knew that was nothing compared to the pain and the torment of the rejection of his own father. And which way did he choose? The self-indulgent way? <laughs> you know, I think I'm good. I think I'm going to stay up here in heaven. <laughs> or did he, did, he, did he choose the narrow way that led straight to the tomb? Straight to the tomb. What did he say in the garden? Not my will, but yours be done. With, with blood, like sweat, coming off of his brow. That was not an easy decision. When you look into that tomb, it can look really small and cramped. Really small and cramped. It looks really narrow. One of the commentators said it's like cosmic claustrophobia. For Jesus to end up there, boy, wouldn't that just be a dead end? Jesus, that's a dead end for sure. But he went in there because of what he knew. He knew where it would lead. He knew that the tomb was not the end, didn't he? He knew that. He knew that from death there would be life for all of mankind, for all of mankind. That's why Jesus Christ is our gate. That's why he can offer us life on the other side of that narrow gate because he made a way for us. He made a way for us. This life definitely does take a choice. It takes a choice of following Jesus but he doesn't just want us to follow his teachings like this really great Sermon on the Mount and think, well, then I'm good to go, right? If I just follow this set of teachings, this redefining of the law, then then I'll be good to go. He's saying, I am way more than just a really good teacher or a really good preacher. I am your savior. I am your savior, so enter into me. Enter into me. Amen. Let's go ahead and stand. We're going to just enter into a time of ministry time, and really what we call is a time of response.